you, Lord. How many of you can raise your hands this morning and say that Jesus Christ really did make something beautiful out of your life? Let's give him praise. Let's thank him for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Six and a half years ago, I was in a jail cell. So he has made something different of my life. I won't even call it beautiful. <laughs> my wife can. I won't. But God changed me. God changed us. He changed our lives, and he left us better than he found us. And maybe you don't feel like you're something beautiful or something great this morning yet, and God is here this morning, and he is going to make something beautiful out of your life. You may, you may be seated. We're still on Beatitudes. We've got a, this one and then two more. And you may have noticed in your Bible there's actually only one more Beatitude, but there's a bonus one because Jesus kind of is talking about the same thing for the next couple of verses. So we're going to stay in his train of thought before we end the, the, the concept of, of the Beatitudes. But today we're going to talk about the peacemakers. And I want to ask if, and, and I hadn't even really thought about this. I didn't even know if, I don't know if I made this really clear from the beginning. But have you noticed that not a single blessing that we have been talking about involves cars, houses, land? None of the Beatitudes are, you know, blessed are you who are sweet because you shall inherit, you know, a Cadillac CTS. That, that's not in there. It's not one of the Beatitudes. And I hadn't really noticed that until I always post on Facebook what I'm going to be teaching about. And somebody commented under it, what's the blessing of a peacemaker? And I, I responded, you know, sons of God. And he was like, well, I haven't been getting any, or something about how he, he diminished what that meant. And he was like, I haven't really been getting any blessings. And my thought was, if that's what you're thinking the blessings are supposed to be, you're right. Because you may not have seen houses, land, and cars. But the blessings that come from living a righteous life, a life of righteousness, they're not cars and land and houses. But they are, oh, they are so much more. And the beatitude that we're on today is a perfect, wonderful example of this principle. We all want peace, don't we? Everybody in this room would like to have peace in your life. Peace and quiet. I've got four kids. <laughs> peace in our homes, though, don't we? We want peace in our homes. We want peace in our jobs. We want peace in the church. We have a wonderful, loving congregation full of just people who love each other. We have a wonderful, loving atmosphere, and God has blessed us with that. But we want peace in our church. We want peace in our country. Peace is highly valued by the world. It is, in fact, universally sought after. The scripture plainly tells us that as time goes on, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24 tells us that. So even if one crisis passes us, then others are going to come, more wars will be entered into, and the cycle will continue. We've seen it in our own country. War has been a constant feature of our history. The Revolutionary War, and I may, not, I may miss one, even though I'm a, my undergrad is in history, I may still miss one because there's been so many. But the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, and then since World War II, We've been involved in wars in Korea, Vietnam, Lebanon, Grenada, Panama, Iran, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And we're supporting a war in, in the Ukraine as we speak. 
That's a lot of wars. That doesn't even mention the big giant war that went on from 1945 to 1989, right? The Cold War. Not a shot was fired, but it was the Cold War. And even domestically, it seems that we're at war with ourselves in this country. Racial and economic tensions, they demonstrate a lack of peace in our country. But even smaller than that, let's go even closer to home. Families are battling one another. And even personal turmoil runs rampant so that people just don't even have personal peace. Speaking of families, drama, I I, I thought it's really watching the royals. Is Harry going to get to wear a uniform? Is he going to get invited to... Even the wealthiest and the fanciest have family drama. You know, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> Yet in the midst of all this, the desire of mankind is to still find peace. But what is peace? How can we find peace ourselves and how can we help others to find it? And what is the benefit of peace? These are the questions that I want to talk about this morning and ultimately start to come to an answer to them. We're continuing, as you know, our series on the Beatitudes, that first section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus describes the character of those who are truly righteous. These are those that will be entering into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. The people described in the Beatitudes are those that are going to become or becoming a part of the kingdom of heaven. The whole theme of the sermon is true righteousness. That's all Jesus is trying to encourage people towards is true righteousness. The Beatitudes themselves, they center on the concept of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Remember, the Beatitudes are not things that you can work up in yourselves, but they are the marks of a person who has the Holy Spirit working in them. I can't do any of these Beatitudes on my own. Not with my greatest efforts, I can't. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in me, then these things will start evidencing themselves. The first three that we talked about, the very first three Beatitudes, they end up producing a hunger for righteousness. Being poor in spirit. Remember we talked about being poor in spirit. We come to God as a beggar. Our hands are completely empty. I have literally nothing to offer him. I am a sinful human being, no good in me, and I offer what I have, which is my empty hands. And he brings me to himself. Then I mourn over my own sin. I realize that he is so holy and I am not. And I mourn over my own sin because I know that I'm not good enough to be in his presence, but yet he wants to bring me into his presence. The result of hungering and thirsting after righteousness then leads us to be merciful to others because we realize the mercy that we have received. If I have been the beneficiary of such great mercy, then I must show mercy to others. Your striving is not just to be good outwardly, but it is then to become pure in heart. Who cares what I look like on the outside if my heart is full of corruption and dead men's bones, right? It's that I be pure of heart as well. And that leads me to becoming what we're going to talk about today, a peacemaker. This is the beatitude that we're going to concentrate on this morning. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want to look first at the blessing of a peacemaker, then the nature of what peace is, and then some practical stuff on how to be a peacemaker. Jesus says here that the blessing given to peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God. I don't know about you, but I love that promise. I love the idea that I could be a son or a daughter, a child of God. 
Remember, I've said all along that the Beatitudes are characteristics of those who are truly saved. Truly saved. And and we're going to explore what that means as we keep going. But this blessing once again proves that point. Because it's only the redeemed that will be able to be called the sons of God, right? Only the redeemed are going going to keep that title. Paul tells us in several places that it is not the natural man, but the man who has the Holy Spirit that is adopted into the family of God. Keep that in mind. As loved as I am by God, and I am so loved by God, I cannot become his son by my own works or my best efforts. I cannot keep that in mind. I must be adopted in. And it's not a legal proceeding that I can start. I'm a lawyer, and I promise you a child cannot bring an action to make someone adopt. I would be going after Warren Buffett. Hey, Mr. Buffett. I'll even settle this for a billion, you know. I won't even proceed. But he has to initiate the adoption process. I can't initiate it. I must be adopted in. Romans 8, 14 through 17 puts it this way. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul puts it this way. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born under the law because we were under the law. He had to, it had to be done that, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying again, Abba, Father. That's daddy calling out. That's, that's the very personal term for dad. Very personal. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Wow. I, could pre- I really could quit preaching right now. That's so powerful. We're no longer slaves, but we are heirs to God. I want to be a child of God. That's what I truly desperately want to be a child of God. The Apostle John put it this way in John 1 and 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. You become a son of God through the work of the Holy Spirit and not by anything that you do. So again, I stress the point that the blessing described in the Beatitudes belongs to one who believes with all their heart in Jesus Christ. That's who gets the blessings. And what a wonderful blessing it is to be a son of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Let me caution you here. There are many who profess to know Christ, but the reality of their relationship with him will be shown in their changed character. That sanctification process we've been talking about as well. It's going to show in the way that they act. If you have a character that will be conforming more and more to all the things that we've been talking about in the, in the Beatitudes, if your character begins to take on those things, going, starting at the poor in spirit all the way through, if that's your character, then we know that the Holy Spirit is operating in your life. I can sing that song. I love that song. I am a child of God. 
I love that song. I can't sing, but I love that song. I am a child of God, and I can sing that song all day long. I can even get the warm fuzzies while I sing it with my hands raised. But if my character isn't changing and conforming to who he is, it's not Christ I know, but it's Chris. It's just me. It's just me. I'm getting the warm fuzzies because my own self-will just loves that I'm singing that song. Because if there is no change happening in my life, I don't know Christ. I just know me. You cannot live a righteous life on your own. You must do it God's way by seeking him first with all of your heart and then asking him to help you do his will, not your own. The battle every day, remember, the battle we all fight every single day is self-will versus God's will. That's the battle. Every morning you wake up, forget the devil. He puts stuff, yeah, he does. He, he, temptation comes our way. But forget about the devil for a second. Chris wants some things. Chris's will would lead me into some terrible places. It's God's will I have to seek every morning. The blessings that we're talking about, the peacemakers, is that they shall be called sons of God. That's what I want to be. These are those that belong to God as his adopted children and their joint heirs with Christ. Those that belong to God as his adopted children are those people who are the joint heirs. So what is a peacemaker and how does a person become a peacemaker? Let's talk about first about the true nature of peace. Peace is kind of a word that it, it's been used so much that it has a lot of meanings it means a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. It can be serene and tranquil, you know, like you go to the mountains and you see a beautiful, you know, mountain stream and it's peaceful. That's a peaceful mountain stream. Um, it can also mean no longer shooting at each other. You know, if there's been a war going on and they stop firing, then it's the absence of war. So what exactly is peace? The Greek word here was the interlude between states of war. So like two countries are fighting and then they aren't fighting, that was peace, and then they would fight again later. It, it's kind of, kind of an idea of being at a state of rest. And that means, I think that meaning is what a lot of us still think about. One person put it, that way, put it this way, peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Sort of a, um, sort of a um, half, glass half empty sort of outlook on life. The Hebrew word shalom, was consistently translated as the same as the Greek word for peace, but it meant so much more. And this is why it's going to become important, because I want the peace that Jesus is talking about. Yes, it is the absence of war, but peace also came to be used in contexts that had nothing to do with war. It was a general sense of well-being in contrast to the evil that was existing in the world. Proverbs 3 and 17 says, Her wisdom's ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. It could, it could also signify the good which comes from God, such as the blessings in Numbers 6 and 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The word peace didn't, near, didn't merely mean rest or the absence of war anymore, but it, it began to take on the, the denotion that it was salvation of man from his sin. That became the connotation of peace which importantly could not be overthrown by any violence or misfortune. If I am saved by God, then it doesn't matter what comes my way. You can't take that peace from me. That peace is God-given and no man can take it away. 
we know that is true because Genesis 15 and 15 tells us even death could be spoken of as going to your fathers in peace. Even in death, we will have peace because we are God's. In the New Testament, peace was no longer just a, that state of rest between warring nations, but now it began to be referred to as the relationship between individuals and God. And we're going from broad concepts to extremely personal ones right now. But what you can see in the, in the common usage is the, like in greetings and farewells, we would tell people, you know, go with God. Um, I hope you have peace. Those were things that people would say. And it was referring to peace in our souls and peace with God. And that is the sense of peace that Jesus is talking about when he talks about peacemakers. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is a state of reconciliation. It's beyond just the, we, we've, we've declared a truce, but it is an active reconciliation. For example, this is the one that we'll all understand, North and South Korea. I don't know if you guys realize this, but that war be, began in 1950. That war is technically not over. They, they haven't been in open conflict since like about 53. But every once in a while, they lob missiles across the border at each other. Some poor uh, guy out there, you know, doing recon gets shot. But open war doesn't begin. There's a demilitarized zone between the two countries. And they are technically just at a truce. There has been no peace treaty between North and South Korea. They're not shooting at each other. They're not dropping bombs. But those countries have not reconciled with each other and they are technically still at war. And that's why US troops are still there to this day. They are there to keep those nations abiding by that ceasefire. But until those two nations reconcile with each other, they will continue to be poised for open war. That DMZ will continue to exist and American troops will have to be stationed there. North and South Korea, think about it this way, are not at peace in the sense of the word as it would be meant by the Lord. A truce is good, but it is not fully peace. When Jesus says that peacemakers are blessed, he is not saying that those who negotiate truces between warring nations will be called the sons of God. He's saying those that bring about true peace will be his children. So what is true peace? It begins by gaining a right relationship with God, and you can't start anywhere else. Romans 5 and 1 gives us our introduction to this concept. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 expands on this. For he himself is our peace, who both made us one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which was between us, the law of commandments and the ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity, the fighting. He put to death the fighting, and he came and preached peace to you who were, for, who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Notice in that passage that there was enmity, verse 16, between God and man. We were his enemies. We were God's enemies all because of sin. We were literally in a state of war with God. All of you in this room. I know none of us wants to think it that way. I've never been at war with God. I've, I've been, I was raised in that Sunday school right over there. I've loved God my whole life. But you had sin. 
and sin can't stand in the same place as God's holiness can. So I was at war with God. Even when I was a four-year-old learning memory verses, I was at war with God. This flesh nature was at war with God. If you think you weren't at war with God, then you don't understand sin. I'm just being real blunt, but we've got to understand what sin does to us and God's relationship. Something had to be done to end that war. Something. We couldn't do it, but something had to be done to end the war. And a truce would not have been enough. If it had just been a truth, we would, a truce, we would have been left in our sin. And ultimately, we would have had to die for our sin. But God sent his own son to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could become reconciled. That is the message of peace that Jesus brought, and that is the message that he preached, preached, and it is why Jesus is called our peace. Romans 5 and 10 says the same thing. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The first step in true peace is being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's that salvation experience we have when we call on the name of the Lord and we put our faith and our trust in him when we call on his name. That's why the gospel is called the gospel of peace because that's what we get in exchange for our sin. And since the reconciliation of man and God takes place because of God's initiative, he started the whole process, God is called the God of peace. And it is upon this basis of peace that we have with God that we can move to become peacemakers ourselves. We can understand the true nature of peace that Jesus is talking about. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it is reconciliation. First and foremost, a peacemaker helps people to become reconciled to God. A peacemaker, we think of peacemakers as two guys are fighting out there and we go, hold on guys, y'all don't need to be fighting over this. But the first job of a peacemaker is to find those people who are still in sin, who are still warring with God, and bring them to the peace that comes when they reconcile with God. That's because it is out of that correct initial relationship with God that that secondary aspect of peacemaking can occur, which is then we can help people reconcile with each Then we can go out and stop the fight in the parking lot. <laughs> I had a... Uh, I normally don't talk about work, but I had a case this week. Um, a, a guy, he, he was being attacked, and he, he stabbed his friend in the neck and killed him. But as he was stabbing and fighting, he actually stabbed a lady who was trying to break up the fight. Well, the grand jury came back, and, and no true bill. He was protecting himself. They let the man go on that. But I still had this, this where he stabbed this poor lady who was trying to be the peacemaker. And I was thinking, well, we got to get something for her. You know, the grand jury didn't like the murder, but maybe we could still, and, and so we did. We got him on the, on the other thing. But I was thinking, poor peacemakers, they, they sometimes get caught in the, in the crossfire, don't they? Peacemakers can get caught that way. But if a person wants to be a peacemaker, then they must follow the model that God has given us. Here's, here's God's model. He saw the need of man. He met the need of man. He offered forgiveness to man. That was what God did. But if you're like me, I can hear you say, well, I'm not God. And I can see the needs that people have. But if I do, maybe I, I probably can't meet them. I'm not God. And even if I could, it is difficult for me to forgive those who are doing me wrong. Those who are attacking me. 
Okay, first, I'll answer your question or your concern. No, you are not God. And that takes all the pressure off. But God has given us an example to follow. And in the Beatitudes themselves, he gives the guidelines by which we can become peacemakers. Look at all the practical. Look at how the, the Beatitudes are so practical. Look at, look at how these guidelines show us the path to becoming true peacemakers. First, the peacemaker is poor in spirit. A peacemaker must have that entirely new view of himself, not this selfish pride, uh, you know, um, haughty spirit, not all that kind of stuff with that self-centeredness, but one that understands his need for God's grace and mercy. A person who is proud and self-centered can never be a peacemaker because their ego and their selfish desires are going to get in the way. Even in seeking to bring people to the peace of God, they're going to falter. And second, the peacemaker must be mournful over his own sin. And that goes along when we change our view of ourself. You recognize your own sin, and then you're humble. If I know that I have committed sin, it's hard to judge somebody else. So if I see my own sin and in my humility I examine myself, then I can step out and assist somebody in a whole different way than I would if I was all haughty going out to help them. Galatians 6 and 1 puts it this way, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. Look at yourself first, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't go out helping somebody thinking you got all the answers and that you're perfect. Just don't. Examine yourself. But notice that this requires a change of our view of others as well. We will no longer see them as adversaries. We will see them as people who are trapped in sin. And that causes us to mourn. Because you are poor in spirit and you mourn over your sin, you then become merciful. You know what God has done for you, and you want to do the same when you extend mercy to someone else. You no longer ask why a difficult and offensive person is like that because you know why they are like that. They're still governed by the God of this world. They still have the spirit of flesh that works in the children of disobedience. They are victims of self and victims of Satan. This concept right here was worth your whole price of admission today. The people that are being mean to us, the people that are despitefully using us, the people that are attacking us, these people are trapped in sin. They need our pity and our prayers. When a person begins to see their enemies from that view, then we are in a real place to make peace. Another practical application from the Beatitudes is that a peacemaker is going to be meek. Remember that a meek person, that's not weak. We had a whole discussion for an hour on what meek meant, and it's not weak, but it is a person who is completely controlled by God. The flesh gets out of the way, my self-will gets out of the way, and I am God-controlled and God-led. The meek are humble, and those personal insults won't be received in the same way. They won't be received received with anger and looking to take revenge, but instead they will be received with compassion and forgiveness because I know that that person hurling them is hurting and lost in sin. The meek do not seek for themselves, but in their hunger and thirst for righteousness, they want God's will to be done. And that makes them pure in heart. 
See the, see the progression of the Beatitudes? It's just a beautiful, beautiful progression. They become pure in heart. They want God to be glorified. They, and that demands that any peace comes in a manner that will glorify God. True peacemakers are going to seek to use godly wisdom, which according to James 3 and 17 is first pure and then peaceable. The consequence then of that is that peace is not pursued by a true peacemaker at the expense of righteousness. I'm going to explain this concept. Hebrews 12 and 14 tells us that to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This means that peace cannot be pursued at the expense of holiness. This is, this is so important for us to remember. True peacemakers. I have, I have extolled the virtues of being a peacemaker. I've told you how wonderful it is, how godly it is, how awesome it is. But there's a little bitty caveat. True peacemakers are not appeasers. As we'd say in recovery, they're not enablers either. They're not enablers. Rather than pursue, the, pursue peace in the context of truth and righteousness, that's what they do. They pursue peace in the context of truth and righteousness. It's God's peace that the peacemaker seeks. Romans 12 and 18 kind of clears this up a little bit. It says, if possible... So far as it depends on you. I love there's two modifiers. If possible, and so much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We aren't commanded to be at peace with all men or else. It's to be pursued when it is possible. We need to realize that in our pursuit of holiness, we will bring on the opposition of the world. We're going to talk about persecution next week. Eight billion people on this planet lost in sin and self-will is not a recipe for universal peace, is it? You're going to deal with people out there that are just downright miserable. They're lost in their sin. We, we must seek peace even so. The true peace of God demands reconciliation with God first and then with other men. And often we are going to be around people who are not seeking reconciliation with God. I'm just... Blunt, you're going to be around a lot of people who, yes, I can, feel, I can feel mournful. I know I feel pity. I know that they're lost in sin. But there is no point in their brain where they're thinking, I just need to get to God. They're not there yet. And that's okay. It is what it is. Sometimes there is a work in people that must be done only by God's power before we can ever seek to be a peacemaker. And peace can only exist when things are in harmony with God. A true peacemaker knows that there will often be opposition and strife before harmony and peace will occur. In fact, most of the time. A peacemaker will not settle for peace at any price, but will continue to set God's standard for righteousness. We live in a world that loves wickedness. It chases wickedness on every corner. But we must be prepared to accept the inevitable conflict that will come because until a sinner comes to God, they can never be at peace with God. None of us can. Jeremiah was a true peacemaker, yet he was always in the midst of conflict. He was poor in spirit. He mourned so much that he's called the weeping prophet. He was meek and he hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He was merciful and he was pure in heart and he was a peacemaker. Jeremiah was in the Old Testament and here he is living out the Beatitudes way before Jesus ever spoke them. The religious leaders of the day, the priests and the, and the, and the 
Pharisees and Sadducees, they would foolishly talk of peace in Jeremiah's time, but they would never gain it because they refused to listen to Jeremiah's call for them to repent. He wanted to be a peacemaker. He had a peacemaker's heart. He was the weeping prophet, but the people who was talking to, they refused to repent. Jeremiah 8, 11, and 12 tells us that they proclaimed peace, peace, but there was no peace because they and the rest of the people were not ashamed of the abomination they had done. They wanted peace, but no one was mourning over sin. If we are going to be peacemakers, we must be like Jeremiah. He held out the standard of God's righteousness, even though he personally suffered from the conflict, and it was because he desired for the people to repent from their sins and come to know God and know true peace. We must be willing to upset things by doing God's will and proclaiming his standard of morality. If we can't, we cannot be a peacemaker. An appeaser is not a peacemaker. It's the difference between making a real peace, a true reconciliation, and just appeasing. Remember Neville Chamberlain? Everybody remember that? He, uh, he's the most famous face of appeasement. He's, he was the British prime minister before Winston Churchill, and he negotiated this, this deal with Hitler. And, and, and part, the deal was he gave Hitler a piece of Czechoslovakia to avoid war. And he came home, and he was holding up a big newspaper that said, Peace in our time. Two years late, less than two years later, World War II began. Appeasing is not the way to peace. Appeasing is not the way to peace. A peacemaker is at peace with God because they have been justified, justified by faith in Jesus Christ. They have the Holy Spirit living in them, which produces the fruit of peace. They strive to be at peace with all men so much that it depends on them, so much as it depends on them. But they pursue holiness and purity as their priority. In meekness and humility, they proclaim all that God has said and call sin exactly what it is. They do not seek appeasement, but instead to fulfill their role as ambassadors of reconciliation, bringing people to God. If, if I have a friend who is a sinner and all I ever do is tell them what they're doing is okay, I'm not a peacemaker. I might appease them for a long time, make them smile, and, and we're friends even. And I guess I could think, you know, if we stay friends long enough, eventually they're gonna, they'll be convicted and see what's right. But if all I'm ever doing is confirming their sin, I'm not making any peace between me and them or them and God. Do you see the, the difference, the distinction? They don't seek appeasement, but they seek to be ambassadors of reconciliation. They also know that in this world they will have trouble, but they are of courage because Jesus has personally brought us his peace. Peacemakers love their enemies. Have you loved your enemy this week? <laughs> they love their enemies and they pray for those that persecute them. A peacemaker strives primarily to bring men and women into reconciliation with God first and then secondarily into reconciliation with one another. It's this relationship first, then this relationship is what a peacemaker is trying to do. A peacemaker, I'll put it this way, because this is one we'll know, we'll all understand. A peacemaker is a soul winner. A peacemaker is a soul winner. Now that's a lot of lofty talk. I've used some big words and I've, I've quoted a bunch of scriptures, but let me tell you where the rubber meets the road today. Here's how we put all this into practice. For it is in the practice of it that we will prove whether or not we are peacemakers. Peacemakers contend for the faith without being contentious. Peacemakers are going to contend for the faith, but they will not be contentious. They disagree with the world, but they're not disagreeable. 
They confront, but they're not abusive. Scripture says we are to speak the truth in, in what? Love. Speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth, yes, but filled with the love of Jesus at the same time. We need to be characterized by all of the Beatitudes. All of, remember, I've said this every single time we've talked about it. You can't just pick your favorite Beatitude. Oh, man, I like this one. I'm going to work on it. Mm -mm. You can't even pick number two and start working on it. You can't start at two and work forward. You have to start at one. The Beatitudes are a progression. They're a way for us to let righteousness work in our lives. We need to be characterized by all of the Beatitudes. A person who is selfless, a person who is humble, a person who is lovable, a person who is approachable, not fake humility. We don't want busybodies nosiness masquerading as love. I've seen that before, have y'all? I don't mean to gossip, but let me tell you what I heard. I'm not trying to help that person. Not at all. Not fake humility, not lofty looking down on people. But the love and humility that puts other people's needs first. One of the great lessons for us to learn to become peacemakers is to learn to hold our tongues. James tells us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Too often we let our mouth go to war before we've ever gotten our mind in gear. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. I remember I told you I preached to myself every Sunday morning. But we, we must control what we say. Not only do we need to keep ourselves from slander and gossip and repeating hurtful things unnecessarily, sometimes there are things that I do need to repeat because I need to get to a person who can help them. I'm not saying we, we, don't, we, we just code of silence. There are times I do need to, I might need to go to Brother Bruce if I, see, if I see Keith driving erratically down the highway and I suspect him of a DWI. I'm just projecting, that was me. <laughs> Sometimes we do have to go to other people in love, but let's be very careful when we do it. We have to be watchful for both our cutting and defensive in our own remarks. Don't be, don't be sarcastic. I have a problem with sarcasm. I know that. I'm working on it. My sarcasm can be harsh and biting if I am not careful. But if we would first learn not to speak and then to speak only in light of the gospel in each and every situation, we would go a long way towards being true peacemakers. And here is where we start to see all of the things we have talked about in the Beatitudes put together because they all go together. Here's the template for us to follow. And I'm closing. At every situation we find ourselves in, great or small, we should consider God's view of what's happening. When I experience a situation that causes me trouble or someone mistreats me, look at God's view first. Or try to, try to, try to in, in, in entertain what God's view is. And then we ask, how can we respond to it in a way that furthers the cause of Christ? Not makes them mad and angry. Not pushes them away, but in a way that furthers the cause of Christ. Will what we say and do bring glory to the name of Jesus? Then ask, is it according to his will? Will it help begin to bring people into reconciliation with God and one another? Will it bring a godly peace? The words that come out of my mouth, will it bring a godly peace? See, remember the person who's trying to hurt me, the person who's attacking me, they're lost in sin. 
if I sit here and judge them and, and go all out war with them, go nuclear, I might get my revenge and it may taste really good. I may feel justified that day and, and powerful that day, but I didn't, I didn't further the cause of Christ at all, did I? I left a terrible taste in the, in the mouth of that person over what kind of a person I am. Maybe I was supposed to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them with my soft answer, but I just pushed them away and they'll never walk down the aisle of a church ever again because I reacted the wrong way. So ask the question, will it bring a godly peace? I'm not asking anybody to turn into a doormat. Remember our lesson on the meek. The meek are not weak. The meek are controlled by God. They follow His will. I'm doing God's will when I turn the other cheek. I'm doing God's will when I speak kindly when someone spoke rough to me. I'm not, I'm not losing any pride. I'm not losing anything in my human nature. I'm not becoming a weak person. I'm being a Christian. Will it bring a godly peace? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called the sons of God. We started with this and we're going to end with this. I want to be a peacemaker because I want to be a son or daughter or child of God. That's all there is to it. When that day, that great getting up morning and that trumpet sounds, I want to be a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. May this blessing be true of you this week. In every situation you encounter this week, at work, at home, wherever you go. Guys, I know your wife may just want to fight and fuss. Be gentle. Be kind. Be sweet. Be that man we know you can be. Ladies, your husband's gruff and mean and horrible. But be sweet to him. Be kind to him. I see Sister Yvonne back there shaking her head. What would the world look like if we did these things? What would our homes look like if we did these things? And we're not responsible for anyone else's behavior. I'm only responsible for my own behavior, but I want to be called a son of God. So may this blessing be true of you this week. Think about this every day this week. Just run this through your head as you go and try to be a peacemaker this week.